Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. Let's turn to Acts chapter 10. You know, this these passages that we're talking about this morning, there's a lot of big changes here in, in uh, the book of Acts. You see, you know, in the early chapters of the book of Acts, the, the kingdom program is really right on schedule, right? They, uh, they had rejected the king, although certainly that had been foretold by the prophets. Um, you see the, the uh, believers there uh, at Jerusalem, and they're living in in one accord, and we started to see a few a few problems there, uh, even in that in that kingdom church. But when you start to get into uh, the the stoning of Stephen, and uh, you know that was a that was a momentous event in Israel's history, uh, because there not only by that time had they rejected God the Father and rejected uh, the person of Jesus Christ, but then they had rejected the testimony of the Holy Spirit, and you, when, when we uh, start here in Acts chapter 10, um, there's, there's some things that begin to change. Now, Acts chapter 10, verse 1, says there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man, and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people, and prayed to God always. Now, Cornelius here, there is no doubt that Cornelius is a Gentile. Uh, not only that, we know from other passages that he is a, an uncircumcised Gentile. Now, it describes him here as being a devout man and one that feared God. So he had, he had some knowledge of God. He uh, blesses Israel by giving alms to the people. He, he prays to God. And, of course, the God is talking about would be the Lord God of Israel, but he had not he had not been circumcised. Okay, and uh, this this Cornelius, it says in verse three, he saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God, and now send men to Joppa. And call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. Okay, now a big, big uh, mystery here for Cornelius. This angel tells him, you know, doesn't give him a lot of information. Just tells him, send somebody down, find, find uh, Simon Peter, and he's going to tell you what to do. And... Um, Verse 7, when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. Okay? In verse 9, now the, the narrative is going to pick up with Peter. It says, On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, 
Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. He became very hungry and would have eaten, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now, uh, of course, you understand that under the Jewish law, there were certain things they could eat and certain things they couldn't eat. There were clean animals and unclean animals. And now uh, you can read all the all the instructions back in the Old Testament for what they could eat and couldn't eat. Here, as Peter sees this this uh, sheet that's let down, um, and it's filled with all manner of four-footed beasts and uh, creeping things and fowls of the air, and the voice tells him, "Kill and eat." Now, this is a strange thing to uh, say to Peter in verse 14. Uh, Peter seems to view it maybe as kind of a kind of a test, and he says, "Not so, Lord." In verse 14, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Now, Peter Peter understands right away this is the Lord speaking to him, right? And and again, it seems kind of like Peter thinks maybe this is a test, you know, see whether he's going to obey the law or not. And uh, here he he. Uh, Refuses. He refuses to go and, and eat, um, and he points to those things of the law, and he says, I've never eaten anything, common or unclean. Verse 15, the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. This was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now, I hope you understand that there is more going on here than uh, just just a you know an argument over what somebody should eat. I've heard people use this passage as as their proof that we're not under the the dietary restrictions of the law. Now, there's other passages you can use to do that. That's not really the the primary issue here in this passage. I mean, maybe maybe you could somehow use it as a kind of some secondary support for um, you know for making that case. Uh, about the dietary restrictions being done away. But the point here, what the Lord is teaching Peter, is not that he can eat things that he couldn't eat before. That's not really the point of what's going on. Uh, verse 17, uh, you notice it says, Now, while Peter doubted in himself what this vision, which he had seen, should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry, for Simon's house, and stood before the gate, and called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, were lodged there. While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise therefore, and get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius, and said, Behold, I am he whom ye seek, what is the cause wherefore ye are come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, and one that feareth God, and of good report among all the nation of the Jews, was warned from God by an holy angel to send for thee into his house and to hear words of thee. Now, Peter understands here at this point that uh, this vision that he had is not about clean and unclean animals. 
but it's rather about Jews and Gentiles. And, and the, the uh, significance there, you know, you have a whole lot of things in the Old Testament law that are about not mixing various things, right? Whether it be clean and unclean animals, whether it be um, not not sowing your your field with mingled seed, um, not wearing garments that were of mixed fabrics, right? You have a lot of those kinds of things in the law, and in fact, you see that that um, pattern all throughout the law, uh, where there's these various things where they're not not essentially moral commands, right? I mean, obviously something like thou shalt not kill, uh, that's, a, that's a moral instruction that uh, is, is really based in the, in the character of God himself. But you see an instruction like not wearing a garment of, of mixed fabrics, and you wonder, why would God ever, ever give that instruction? Okay? And, you know, you have different kinds of instructions in the law. You certainly have moral commands like thou shalt not kill and thou shalt not steal and thou shalt not bear false witness. You have those kinds of, of moral commands. Um, you also have, you have civil instructions under the law, which were things for, you know, ordering their, their society. But you have many things in the law that were ceremonial as well. Okay? And... In those ceremonial things, they are symbolic of, of, you know, things that God is doing. And all of those instructions under the law about not mixing various things, uh, went right along with the fact that God had, had set apart the nation of Israel, and He instructed them, for instance, not to intermarry with the Gentiles. Right? And um, there was a there were separations, all these various separations that God put there. In fact, one of the one of the effects of the law uh, for you know for people who who studied the law, if we lived under the law, and that was what we were going to study as God's word for us. What what it taught you to do is to make distinctions between things and and make you know see the differences between this and that and set differences between things. Uh, in fact, if you if you talk to uh, Orthodox Jews today, or, or you talk to uh, Jews who have have gone through the the yeshiva schools and, and that kind of thing, uh, what you'll find out is that they they have a, a very great ability to find distinctions between things and and that kind of thing. And of course, you understand that much of Orthodox Judaism today is not based just on the Bible; it's based on uh, the Talmud, which is various interpretations and, and commentaries on the law, but much of that is drawing these distinctions between things. Okay, and so when the Lord here gives Peter this vision, where he's indicating that uh, he's taking one of those major things of the law, the dietary restrictions, and he's indicating to Peter that 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 distinction is done away. And he's saying, you know, kill and eat even, even though it's clean and unclean animals. What it is symbolizing is that something has taken place to change the relationship between Jew and Gentile. Okay? And Peter understands that when he comes out of the trance and there's these Gentiles at the door that say, an angel of God appeared to our master and he, he wants you to come to him. Now, that was something that Peter 
Peter hadn't done previous to this. He hadn't gone to a Gentile. Uh, now, there were certainly Gentiles. If you look through, through Christ's earthly ministry, for instance, there are certainly Gentiles that came to Christ. Right? Let's, let's um, just look at a couple of passages. Go to, um, go to the book of Matthew and just want to want you to notice a couple things. Go, go first to uh, Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Here as the Lord sends out his disciples and he gives them instruction, he commissions, commissions them to go out. Now this is... Uh, this is long before the, the crucifixion of Christ. This is while Christ is, is still on the earth. But there comes a point where he sends out his disciples to, to go out and preach. And uh, they go throughout Israel. And notice in verse 5, it says, These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Okay? You, you understand that the Lord Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry was not focused on Gentiles, he was focused on Israel. And so when he commissions the twelve to go out, he, he forbids them here to go to any city of the Gentiles. He forbids them to go to the cities even of the Samaritans, which would have been, they would have been descendants of, of Jewish people who intermarried with Gentiles. Okay? Uh, but he says, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And, and I want you to notice, uh, skip down to verse 23, because he tells them that even in the cities of Israel, they're going to be persecuted. They're going to... Uh, their message is not always going to be received. And he says in verse 23, but when they persecute you in this city, flee ye into another, for verily I say unto you, ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. Now there's an interesting statement, right? He tells, as he says, he says, don't go to Gentiles, don't go to Samaritans, go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And, and he says, you know, when you go to a city of Israel and they don't receive the message, I mean, if you read the whole thing, he tells them, you know, if they, if they do receive the message, you know, you stay there and teach. But he says, if they persecute you, go to the next city. And he says, you're not going to get finished with the cities of Israel until the Son of Man become. Well, what's he referring to there when he says, till the Son of Man become? Um, I mean, obviously, if he's talking about the fact that he's going to come, uh, there would have to be some going away for him to come, right? They go out here and, you know, they come back to Christ later. You know, they kind of disperse here and go out among these cities. Later on, you see them back all together again. I think Christ there is talking about his second coming. I think he's, he's telling them there, uh, you know, here's the, here's the schedule for, for what's going to take place. He's saying, you aren't going to get done with the cities of Israel, you know, according to this prophetic timetable that's laid out. Uh, you aren't going to get, get done ministering to the cities of Israel until the Son of Man become. Uh, you know, they don't understand yet at this point that he's going to 
die and that he's going to ascend into heaven and, and be away, you know, depart from them for a period and then come back. But, you know, as you think about what would he be referring to when he talks about the Son of Man being being come, uh, that, that's really the next coming of Christ on the schedule, right? So that tells you something about, about the time periods involved here. Uh, now, we know even where we're at here today, you know, the dispensation of grace came in and, and uh, that schedule was put on hold, but... That tells you that all, you know, all through these early chapters of the book of Acts, we shouldn't expect to see them going anywhere except Israel. Uh, if, you, if you turn to uh, Matthew chapter 15, notice that here, uh, that doesn't mean that, that Gentiles couldn't be saved here at this point or that they were somehow excluded, but they weren't going out to the Gentiles. Now, there's Gentiles there in Israel and Gentiles from other places, and, and they could come to Christ. Here in Matthew 15, we see an example. Uh, verse 21, it says, Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coasts of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coasts, verse 22, and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word, and his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. This is one of these passages that, you know, if you were to talk to just kind of the average Christian who, you know, knows a little bit of the Bible, if you were to start to describe this story of this Canaanite woman who comes and, and comes to Christ and uh, has this daughter that's vexed with the devil, and you were to ask, what do you, what do you think Christ how, how is he going to respond to her? Now, you know, most people would would just kind of ignore the fact that she's a Canaanite, and they would expect, well, of course Christ is going to to uh, cast the devil out of her daughter, right? I mean, that's what that's what Christ does, but that's not what he does. He won't even talk to the woman. He won't answer answer her a word. And and so then the disciples come to Christ, and they're going to ask him to do something. And then you might think, well, what would you expect the disciples to do? Well, surely the disciples are going to ask Christ to minister to the woman, right? They don't do that either. What do they do? They they say, send her away. I mean, Christ Christ doesn't even tell her yes or no. He just won't speak to her at all. When the disciples come, they say, send her away, for she crieth after us. And he responds to them, but he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, he's not being, he's not being rude to the woman here, although, I mean, who knows what she thought as she's crying after him there, but that's not his intent. His intent isn't to be rude to the woman. His intent is not to be uncaring to the woman or, or to her daughter, but he's not sent to her. Right? That's, that's not who he's there for. God's plan in, in raising up the nation of Israel, I mean, his plan really in, right from the start in raising up Israel, was to bless Israel and that then the Gentiles would receive the overflow of Israel's blessings. Right? And so Christ is there to, to minister to Israel, not to minister to the Gentiles. And even though he's up up here in the, the coast, which would be the border of Tyre and Sidon, he's way up in the, the northern part of Israel where there's a lot of Gentiles, he's up there looking for the lost sheep of Israel. He's not up there looking for Gentiles. 
This woman comes to him. He says, I'm not sent but under the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But you see the faith of this woman because she doesn't, she doesn't give up. She doesn't just, just, you know, go away upset. Rather, verse 25, then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. Now, surely here at this point now, he's going to have compassion on the woman and, and help her, right? Rather, what we see, verse 26, he answered and said, It is not meat to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. Now again, what, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, there's some, there's some, some Christians, there's some people who use the term, uh, holier than God Christians, <laughs> you know, not holier than thou, but there's some Christians who, who, you know, they, they see something like this and they would even start to think, you know, man, Christ is messing up there. Why, you know, why is he talking, calls this woman a dog, right? He's not, he's not messing up. He's doing exactly what he should be doing. And he, again, it's not, you know, it's not, the intent isn't to be, to be rude or to offend the woman, but he's just speaking the truth. He's there for Israel. The things that he's there to do and, and perform and the casting out of devils and the miracles and those things are for Israel. Right? And he asks her the question. This is the first time he really talks to her. And he asks her a question. He says, is it need, is it fitting to take the children's bread, right? The children who have a place at the table. You ever want to do an interesting study? Study that, just do a word study on the word table. Uh, you think about the, the uh, 23rd Psalm where it says, thou set us a table for me in the midst of mine enemies, right? Israel's table, that table that the scripture talks about is that that position that God gave to the nation of Israel. And, uh, of course, uh, Paul quotes from the Psalms where it says, let their table be made a snare. What happened with that position that God gave to Israel became a trap for them where rather than understanding, you know, understanding what, what position they held in God's plan, um, they, you know, it, it became something that led them into rebellion and, and unbelief. But when he, when he talks here about um, taking the children's bread and casting it to the dogs, right, the children sit at the table, the dogs are under the table. And the dogs get the crumbs that fall off the table. You don't, you don't take the, you know, the food that's intended for the children and cast it to the dogs. And he's saying that's what it would be for him to, to go out to these Gentiles, he would be taking the things that belong to Israel at this point, and in a, you know, it would be a, an unrighteous thing for him to, to cast those things to the dogs. Now, the woman doesn't give up, verse 27, and not only does she not give up, she acknowledges that what he just said is true. Right? She acknowledges that she is a Gentile has a different place in the in the uh, purpose of God than what the children Israel have, and she said, "Truth, Lord." But what does she say? Yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, "O woman, great is thy faith; be it unto thee, even as thou wilt." And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Now you see that the woman was not excluded by being a Gentile. But, you see, it's also made clear Christ wasn't sent to her. He was sent to Israel. Now, she came to him, 
And because of the faith that she had, she she received blessing there from the Lord. Her daughter uh, is is delivered from this devil. But you see that she has to come in a different way than how the Israelites came. She has to come acknowledging who she is as a Gentile. Right? And so all of the, the program up to this point where we're at in, in uh, Acts chapter 10, that's how the Gentiles come. Christ didn't go to the Gentiles. They, he didn't forbid them when they came to him. He didn't make it easy for them either. But, you know, they could come to him. And in the early chapters of the book of Acts, you know, there are, there are, uh, for instance, Gentile proselytes there on the, on the day of Pentecost that it mentions. Uh, you know, if, if Peter and the Twelve had any contact with Gentiles there in those early chapters of the book of Acts, the contact that they have is those Gentiles coming to them. Here, God is telling Peter, go to this Gentile. Now, I mean, certainly Cornelius send some people to come and get Peter, but normally the way it would work is if Cornelius wanted anything from them, he you know, he would have to come to Peter. But here now Peter is going to go to him. And the reason is that between where you're at here in Matthew 15 or where you're at in those early chapters of the book of Acts and where we are now in Acts chapter 10, something has changed. Right? And what's happening here in Acts 10 is that God is is letting Peter in on the fact that some changes have taken place and, and really that there's even more changes yet to come. Okay? Now what we what we skipped over is the things that happened in Acts chapter nine. Right? Because in Acts chapter nine you see Saul of Tarsus, this blasphemer, this chief persecutor of the church, and he is, he has an encounter with the Lord there and, and he becomes a believer. And Saul of Tarsus, uh, then the, the Lord tells, well, or at least tells Ananias that, um, this Saul of Tarsus is going to bear his name before Gentiles and kings and the people of Israel. And, and the Lord puts Israel last in that order, not first as it always had been. Uh, one one last thing before we go back to Acts chapter ten. If you look at Acts chapter one, because you might you might say, I mean, we looked at Matthew ten there, where he tells them to go only to the, the house of Israel. I mean, what about after Christ's resurrection? Doesn't he tell them that they're going to go to the the uttermost parts of the earth? Doesn't he tell them, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost? And and certainly he does, but you understand there's an order. There's a there's a timetable. There's some things that take place before that's going to happen. And you see in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, uh, it says, But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost parts of the earth. But you see, that doesn't do away with what he had told them previously, which was they weren't going to get done with the cities of Israel until the Son of Man be come. In that kingdom program, will they get out to the uttermost parts of the earth eventually? Yes. Did they in the early chapters of the book of Acts? No, they did not. They were Jerusalem. You get much farther into the book of Acts and you see they're still in Jerusalem and they're still speaking the word to none but the Jews only. Okay? 
And um, so, so when we skip ahead then to Acts chapter 10, you know, if we didn't know what had taken place back in chapter 9, Acts chapter 10 would, would be a big surprise. It would, um, you know, it would be kind of confusing what's going on there because it doesn't fit with the timetable. They haven't finished with Jerusalem and they haven't finished with Samaria and it's not time for them to go to the uttermost parts of the earth and the Son of Man hasn't come yet. And yet, here God is sending Peter to go to a Gentile's house. You know, especially especially to go to a, to a Gentile's house was something that uh, an observant Jew, a law-keeping Jew, would not do. And, and here he sends him to go to Cornelius' house. Uh, so if we come back to Acts chapter 10, Peter understands, you know, the, the timing of the events here. He has the vision. He's wondering what the vision means, and all of a sudden there's some Gentiles at the door. Okay, now we know what the vision means. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.